0: Hello, happy new year. Welcome. Episode 56 of the midlife pilot podcast. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about being midlifers. Doesn't matter if we're students or seasoned pros or anything in between. And it doesn't matter how old you are. As my friend Brian likes to say, we're all in the midst of something. So we're all midlifers. We love to share our experiences and the community's experiences about everything all related to aviation. Uh, If you're joining us uh, via the audio version, we're glad you're here. We've got a very lively chat in the YouTube stream. We stream this most Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That's going to probably change a little bit next week. My name is Ben. I am a Pilot in the Atlanta metro area, flying a Cessna 182. Tonight, from Nashville, from the heart of Music Row, flying a beautiful Cherokee 180 named Lucy, we have Brian. Hey, Brian. How's it going, Mr. Ben? And by the way, um,
1: I really appreciated you sending me the viral video today of the guy talking about the value of having an instrument-rated friend. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I I knew right away that um, I knew what you were talking about. You are my instrument-rated friend. But by the way, I did have a conversation today with an instructor about in- some instrument-related things.
0: So, hey, at least I'm talking about it again. So, we'll see what happens. You know, it all begins with the first step. I'm yeah. proud of you. Also joining us from wet, rainy, northwest, U.S., west coast, portland oregon our friend ted who flies the ctls also known as a plastic egg who got to do a little flying recently
2: i did i got two flying days in the last week which uh ben had looked at our forecast and he understands now why this time of year i'm happy if i get three flights in a month uh flying vfr and uh yeah uh the uh uh, for the the live stream the uh, the background image was was from yesterday flying to the coast, flying into my favorite 1800 foot runway, which thankfully the uh, king tides are down. So the runway is actually dry instead of being covered in water. So that yeah, was it was good. a, it was a good set of flights and it, always nice to get out.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how you do it, Dad. I looked at the <laughs> forecast at Portland and I was depressed immediately when it's High forty six, low forty four, and just showers every single day. One hundred percent chance for the, <laughs> the next ten days.
2: You know, it was about the mornings are, are fairly foggy, and at about ten a.m. I was looking outside and it was like there's actually blue sky. This is not what was in the forecast. All right, change what I'm doing. I'm flying, and and so I did. Now I, I've got to tell you, there were clouds and uh, a few clouds at the airport and at like pattern altitude just above it. It's like, okay, that's fine. So I'm flying out and take about a 45 off off um the off the the departure, fine. That all works out. And the controller says, "Hey, can you turn another 90 degrees left?" I'm like, "Nope. <laughs> any any other heading is going to put me in the clouds if, at the, for for the
0: next 30 seconds. It's almost and, like you're yeah. flying down a valley. Yeah. Yeah. A valley of clouds. Yeah. Well, for those uh, of you that are new, we broadcast, again, as I said earlier, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. next week. It's going to probably be on Monday, uh, a special treat coming up. The audio version of this podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Feedback. Feedback is something we love. We're going to uh, read a few uh, emails we receive. If you want to send us emails, uh, any comments you love, any stories you have to tell, any accomplishments, we want to hear about it all. The email address is midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, our more merch store is back open with great items. Um, the link to the merch store will be in our show notes uh, or doobly-doos if you like it. And, um, Hit the like, the subscribe, the follow. You can support us on Spotify for as little as 99 cents a month. Speaking of which, we've received three new supporters uh, since our last episode. Uh, I want to thank Sean W., Gary M., and Scott M. for uh, pledging to follow us and support the show. It it really is making a difference. Um, none of us are, are going broke at this point in time, thank God. Uh, but it does cost, in all seriousness, it does cost money to, uh, to keep this thing going. And uh, your support really helps us. And 99 cents a month,
1: that's uh that's just one little, you know, while you're waiting for your sandwich, playing a few rounds of Galaga or something, right? Like it's not, do, do, you, do you have any Galaga machines? Galaga. Yeah, do you remember that Galaga? Is,
2: that is a great midlife reference.
0: That was my go-to video game. Me too. Yeah. Did you know the cheat code where you could get – that would never fire at you? No. <laughs> uh, I was like super into it. We don't need to go down that road too. Now, fast. wait,
1: is this in the challenge, challenge, challenging stage, challenger stage, whatever the – is it in one of those stages? No. No, it's in the
0: – just for the game. Just for the entire game. Whoa. You could roll the, the high score over. You could really? play three hours <laughs> on a quarter.
1: How did I not ever
0: – Know that I was a geek at one point in time. <laughs> Why don't we get back to the uh, get to the feedback, um, uh, Brian? Do you want to start us off with the first one? Yeah. So, and by the way, we
1: love getting the feedback. Some of them have been rather lengthy, which is great because we do read it and we all appreciate it. Um, but for the sake of time, for us to include it, we're going to have to truncate some of these things, kind of like. Uh, you know, how Ben does his checklists. So (laughs) what we have here is uh, Jim G. Thanks for this email. And I'll just, um, I'll get to the main points here. And sorry for having to cut some of this out. And sorry to the live audience for watching us read. Remember, this is primarily an audio podcast. So good evening, midlife folks. Your discussions are super relevant to me. I grew up next to the airport in Juneau, Alaska. Uh, he goes on to talk about family and flying um, and flying paragliders and a lot of neat things. Um, and then he says, uh, I really enjoyed immersing myself in the learning and the flying process. Like, for example, studying crosswind landing techniques in the morning, then renting the airplane and practicing that exact thing in the afternoon. It was amazing. And I don't think I would have gotten as much out of it at a younger age. I think a lot of us can relate to that. In 2016, I had to put it all aside for a career and family reasons. I'm now 55 and trying to find a way to shoehorn flying back into the picture. I've remained obsessed with the dream by reading aviation safety cover to cover, listening to podcasts such as yours, opposing bases, aviation news talk, APG, etc., We live in Boise, but also spend time in McCall, Idaho, and Sedona, Arizona. That must be really nice. I would love to be able to use an airplane as an option for travel between these three places. The more I learn about the challenges of flying in areas with remote high terrain and weather, as well as the costs, the more it feels like a daunting move. However, your discussions give me hope that this will someday be possible. Sorry for the long email. Just had to get it out. You don't have to use the whole thing. We didn't. <laughs> Thanks again for the great podcast. I look forward to every episode. And he says uh, to end here. He says also, I just wanted to let Ben know that sadly it will be impossible for him to win the AOPA 170 because I'm going to win it. Just saying. <laughs> so that's that's really great, and I, I you know I think that um, I really appreciate. The sentiment of being immersed in the learning and just enjoying the process. And I think that that while anyone at any age can have that experience with aviation, I do think that that is perhaps more of a midlife attitude or way because you just are grateful for the opportunity and the time. And it's nice to have a new challenge because like we've said, most of us are already doing maybe for a living what we're already pretty good at. And we haven't been really terrible at something or starting from the bottom of something (laughs) in a long time. And so uh, I really appreciated that. And uh, Ben, you're going to have to work out this whole
0: sharing of the 170 with them. Did they give that away yet? (laughs) I'm watching the uh, website daily. I have not seen it yet, so I don't think so. I I think it's supposed to be
2: later this month. And okay, they uh, so they surprise people by showing up at the person's airport and and giving it to them. It kind of one of those, uh, I don't know, coming to your door with a big check, but it's going to your airport with a nice plane. <laughs> yeah. Ed McMahon shows up with a 170. Yeah. So, so
1: uh, anyway, that's that's all I wanted to say. Is just I really appreciated the, the attitude about it, and and as far as his challenges, maybe Ben, you might have some insights on. Uh, or maybe you also Ted. One of you guys might have some insights on the challenges of flying in those areas and what maybe we can suggest or
2: point him towards. Well, I wanted to point out a couple of things in there first. He so he started in Driggs, Idaho, which is eastern Idaho, in a one seventy two XP, which he says is complex high performance. So, is tell me, is that the variable prop and and over two hundred horsepower? What what Should, is yeah. the XP? The Hawk XP. Okay yeah okay um was that one that there's there's one over at Tulhoma? yeah somebody was okay yeah uh and then he said that he moved to to nampa boise area and and switched to a, a regular boring 180 or 172 uh nampa is my favorite idaho airport to drop into because it has unleaded gas uh they have a nice little uh restaurant there and uh the uh the the Airport code always cracks me up because the town is NAMPA N A M P A and the code is M A N. So they switched the M A N N A M thing, which I don't know. In my brain it kind of works out well. Kinda of cracks me up. <laughs> but he's he's talking about flying from from Idaho to, to Arizona in on that same it's the the Utah corridor that I've done twice now. So I don't have a ton of experience at it, but it is, it is in the range of things that you can do as a midlife, halfway decent pilot.
0: Well, and to his comment, of learning to fly in a high performance, um, it took me a bit. Uh, things just move a lot faster, and it just you have to push through. I, I hate using that term for people trying to learn things. But things start to click into place over time, and it just takes that repetition, those memory items. It just over and over, uh, you know, repetition is the mother of all learning. So uh, that's my only advice is just hang in there and keep pushing through. It seems like he's now switched to a a 172, but the the high performance, you know, once you get it, you're going to look back and go, oh, well, that makes sense now. So, yeah we want to move on to the next one, um, from Rob G and I'm going to truncate his as well. Uh, it was a little bit long, but I very much enjoyed it. And as a matter of fact, uh, Rob and I traded emails. He is based out of the airport that I did my commercial check ride. And so Rob says, hello, midlife pilot crew. I am a recently certified midlife pilot and a proud member of the midlife community first-generation pilot, but he had the bug from the very first time he flew in a commercial airplane, which a lot of us do. Got my first chance to get behind the controls of a GA plane at the age of 23, and he took his Discovery flight. And as a lot of us, uh, for me personally, it was my 30th birthday. It took three hours and then had to hang it up immediately. Uh, Rob continues, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, properly laid down the ultimatum and told me that I was going to be choosing flying or I was going to be choosing her and he said he chose wisely and didn't become a quarter life pilot. <laughs> Fast forward 20 years, three kids, many jobs, he pursued his dream and started his training in May of 22 uh outside of the North Carolina area. Um Unfortunately, his wife is still not wild about the idea of his flying. So the immediate family is off limits for being in the plane, which again, that's a very common theme that we hear all the time. Uh, As that experience builds, you take them up for shorter flights, take them for a lap around the pattern get them used to it. Let them dip their toe in the water. The spring get together seems like a good one. We'll be talking about that. The Nashville fly in. Uh, And let me just... Skip down here. Um, Been a listener essentially from the start, but I'm really enjoying the new format and the greater frequency of the content. So he is now a supporter. Keep up the great works. And uh, he requested an invite to the Discord server, which everybody here is encouraged to send us an email at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com and we'll get you on the Discord server. And if you've never used Discord, it's okay. If I can use it, I promise you, you can. So uh, that's a truncated version of Rob's email. Uh, it was great feedback. And uh, Rob, we're glad you're part of the group now.
2: I love in there, Rob said the uh, uh, one of those, what doesn't kill you moments makes you stronger. Well, That's a decent way to put it.
0: That's right. He, he um, mentioned that he has some bag of words that he's going to go back and look for. So, Rob, we're waiting for you to send us your bag of words. That segment hasn't, we haven't terminated it, but we're just waiting for some good opportunities to use it again. Is that a fair way to say that?
1: Yeah, and I think that there's just a lot of people that don't necessarily have the, they're not recording all of these things all the time. But it is great when we do get the recorded ones. I suppose we could, you know, if you want to just um, retell it, <laughs> uh, you could also just email us and and we can uh, acted out like a radio play,
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that's uh, that's it for the feedback now. Um, anything else to add to that, uh, Ted?
2: I have I one was, thing. Yeah, go
0: ahead. You go ahead, Ted.
2: I was just happy to to see those emails, and uh, we've got a a audio message we're going to play next week. And yeah, it's it's nice getting people's stories, and it's it's nice even the people we've got in the Discord. It's kind of nice getting a reminder of oh where are you at in your training or in your your flying and getting that that recap of where you're at
1: absolutely it's nice to be reminded that um there's not there's actually a lot of people listening to this it's also <laughs> kind of daunting sometimes when you start to look at you know the the, the numbers you're like whoa okay this is okay this is you know, i gotta watch what i'm saying but uh Especially you, Ben. But no, um. One, <laughs> the one thing I wanted to add is, and I don't know if this is a good suggestion or not, but you know what? We're not instructors and we're not, you know, don't listen to us. But from just a behavioral psychology kind of standpoint, I, especially when I was first flying, my wife did fly with me, but she was very nervous She would go jump in the plane with you, Ben, or anybody else, no problem. And her whole logic, as you've heard on the show before, is I knew you when you were not a pilot. And she saw how the sausage got made kind of thing. And so it might be, you know, a path if you want to acclimate your significant other to more flying would be to open it up to not just necessarily flying with you, but maybe even just going on a discovery flight with an instructor or I don't know any number of ways you could go about that. Just a more experienced pilot. um, Maybe that's a way to do it. Maybe that's the worst idea ever because then they come back to you and they go, wait, this other guy really felt like he had it all together. And you're, you're sitting here stumbling on the radios, but uh, no, I, I, but I think that might be a path. I don't know.
0: Well, um, a funny story happened this past weekend. I was visiting my sister in St. Simons and came to my attention that she's never flown with me. And I I have invited all of my family to fly with me. And then, um, but I, you know, I said to her, you know, I don't blame you if you don't want to go fly with me. Because when I was eight years old, she told me that if I planted a roast beef that I could grow a cow. (laughs) And I believed her. So she didn't want to get into an airplane with me then I, I see where she's coming from. She ended up dude, uh, coming up with me, her and her friend, and we did a, a great flight around the islands there, and she loved it. So, it's a little sporty landings, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute.
2: Yeah, I'll give you a counterpoint on the, uh, they know you, and so that's the reason I don't want to fly with you, which is uh, my partner's been up once for slightly more than the size of a pattern, and it was, she... It's, it's over her comfort limit. That was her choice to go up and she wanted to come down. I'm like, great, no problem at all. And for her, it isn't who she's flying with. It's the, that sensation of being in a small plane is not, she had no idea what to expect. And yeah, that's fine. Well, and getting into a CTLS is
1: a very, it's a very small plane. Yeah. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe what if she got into I don't know maybe if you know somebody that's got like a Piper Mirage or something where it's like okay yeah. I got club seating. It's still a single engine, yeah. you know. I don't know. Just uh, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. But I, but I, I would imagine it sounds like that. That was a lot. Um, and I bet you were thinking I don't want to go. I don't want to have to go around. I don't want to have to go around.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it was it was fine. I I knew that. I told her we can get to the airport and we won't go. We can get in the plane and we'll stop we'll get up. We won't go to our destination. And that's what we did. And that was fine. She, she wanted to get up and, and we tried and she'll be back eventually. So a fellow egg flyer, CT crosswind adventure said uh, he took his wife on an early morning flight. It was nice and smooth. No bumps. Didn't push it at all. She is or was scared of heights, really took it slow. And that's the way to do it is, start very cautiously with someone don't start showing steep turns and stalls on the first flight Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. i think also it's a tendency for us pilots to just assume that they're going to feel safer if we are a fountain of all this knowledge and details about all of the things about the plane and i think it's important to read the person i've definitely had scenarios where it's actually better to just not, you know, have the pre-flight done before they even get there. Walk them right into the plane and just get going, and just give them the bare minimum of what they need. Yep. I think that sometimes we tend to be empathetic and we pick up on their nervousness, and then the way we react to it is <laughs> to start getting into, you know, aerodynamics and you know all these things, and and you start providing them perhaps all these things that they hadn't even thought about that you know that. <laughs> that could be a failure or I don't know. So it just depends. You got to read the room. You know, I think that's the main thing. And we have a whole episode about this folks. If you go back, uh, we have a yeah. flying with your spouse episode. We went down and deep on this, but it's, it's always going to be a relevant topic. So I'm glad that people it are writing about it.
0: It, it. Spouses or just other passengers in general. Um, yeah. if you're taking an angel flight, you might have a really nervous passenger. So it applies across all different boards there. Definitely
2: thinking about how much you say, out loud you may not want to give that departure briefing about when the engine fails we will crash straight forward (laughs) plus or minus 30 degrees yeah or the one i've been doing lately I, i don't like the when it fails but if the engine fails we'll swim because i'm taking off into into water and i i guess people are nervous about hearing that so i i try to say a lot less she was just listening to to one of the videos that i was doing she said you talk to yourself even when I'm not in the plane? Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> probably more.
0: Here's one. Here's a briefing that you probably don't want to tell. It was the one that was given to me by my flying mentor from South Georgia. We're getting in his airplane for the first time, and he says, you need to buckle your seatbelts. You know why they're there, right? And I go, yeah, you know, to keep you from hitting your head. He goes, nope. When we die, they're going to know exactly where to find the bodies. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't help too much. Doesn't breed uh, confidence. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, why don't we go ahead and switch gears and get to our topic of the evening, uh, which is crosswind landings. Um, we had come up with this topic, I think, prior to this, my most recent trip, but having the landing experiences I did, I felt like it, well, it's super relevant now because I had some some nice gusty challenging crosswinds. And, um, Brian, I believe you have something excerpt out of one of our, I'm a little reluctant to call it our Bible, but one of, uh, the instruction manuals for flying, which is the killing zone, which we suggest that everybody read. Uh, I'm reading it for a second time now, but, um, there's um there's a definitive section in there that that addresses crosswind landings and and we can get to mine uh after you maybe tackle that. Sure. I just thought that it would be wise to start with some
1: some sort of text and there's uh, so many interesting little small narratives in this book so I thought that I would just read one of those small narratives. I don't think we'll get into his the author's breakdown of all the things but I think that it's a a good talking point to, to start with. So he calls it a, a killing zone survivor story. Um, and I'll just read that for you real quick. Says, and this is on page 135 in the approach and landing section, if anybody's wondering. My time in the zone was a rather uneventful one, except for one instance, I had accumulated about 124 hours of total time, thought I was a pretty good VFR pilot. This particular flight was one where I would not only build total time, I would also satisfy the long country, long cross-country requirement for my commercial certificate. I was flying a Cessna 152, and I remember it was equipped with long-range tanks. Having flown from Kenston, North Carolina, to Roxborough, where I would pick up my wife for a day trip to Hilton Head, South Carolina, I felt confident about the trip. Despite the ever-present forecast of thunderstorms in the middle of the summer, the weather was beautiful. My wife had not flown with me much, so I wanted to make a good impression, right? <laughs> Here we go. I pointed, I pointed out the visual checkpoints along the way. She was duly impressed when the island came into view. Gosh, Ben, this is almost going to be your story. So <laughs> he says, uh, I could tell that the wind was noticeably steady onshore breeze the runway at Hilton Head runs relatively parallel to the shoreline, so this presented a crosswind from my right as we were advised to land on runway three. The runway is lined on both sides by tall pine trees. Even though I had set up the landing well, tracking the center line, and the whole time using the side slip method, I did not count on the trees as being such a good windbreak. Right about twenty feet above the ground, I suddenly lost all of my wind. I lost my. I also lost my concentration. This led to me, or this led to my having too much crosswind correction for the actual winds at the runway level, and I was not quick enough nor experienced enough to compensate. We touched down more sideways than I ever had before that day or ever since. It was ugly. I never had heard such a squalling of the tires nor been thrown sideways in the seat. As I looked up, I could see that we were heading for the runway lights off to the right, so I kicked hard left rudder and simultaneously mashed the brakes The tires chattered with protest, but we stopped without hitting anything. Both of us, shaken from the experience, we taxied to the ramp where someone asked us if the crosswind was bad. I just smiled sheepishly and said, yeah. (laughs) So uh, this was a former student of the author who now flies for a regional air carrier and has written several books of his own. And the author notes that his experience was not significantly significantly different from... Some of the sample accident reports, um, this case, in this case, this guy, Phil, he did not lose control to the point where the airplane ran off the side of the runway,
0: but others have not been as fortunate. It's, it's ironic. Um, I, when you're close to the coast, you're, you have a lot more opportunity uh, for these, these experiences. I, I first want to start out saying it doesn't matter if you've got 100 hours or if you have 990 hours, landings are, are tricky. No two are ever the same. And when it comes to crosswinds, you've, you've got to keep doing them. It's, um, I, I'm very fortunate to live in an area where there's four airports and each of the runways at these four airports are oriented in different ways. So you can find a crosswind on any day of the week as long as there's wind blowing. And I've taken advantage of that. Um, What was interesting for this uh, trip to St. Simon's this past week, um, I have it pulled up. And so it's got two runways, two paved services, 14, I'm sorry, 16 and 34, and runway 22 and four. And the, the big jets, the heavy irons were coming in on 22, and I was following in behind them. And there was a couple of airplanes coming in on um, runway three four. Now these these runways do not intersect, um, so you're you know it's legal to land on both of them. Uh, they're completely separated. So as I'm on I'm on about a five mile final, and I just listened to the ASOS the second time, and the winds were at it was like two sixty fourteen gust into twenty four. When I got to the five-mile final, it was three hundred fourteen, 14, gusting, 28. So oh. I called an audible and, and flew over runway three, four, entered a left downwind and into the pattern. What I didn't anticipate, and I'm glad I have this experience because it's not the end of the world, but I was high and fast, and I needed to get down. So I used full flaps, which I don't normally do in gusty conditions. But it was, and the gust factor, you know, was almost 10 knots. So you take half the gust factor. But my point being is when it's that gusty, I don't usually use full flaps, but it was tossing us around like I haven't experienced before. And fortunately, I got it on the ground very smoothly. I didn't bounce it. I was tapping on the rudder pedals as soon as we got on the runway. It was one of my smoothest crosswind landings I've ever had. And y- y'all met Terry. She's talked about this. She knows when I'm working really hard for a landing and when I'm not working really hard and I don't do a good job because she'll call me out on it. But she she made a point going, that was pretty impressive, and and I don't get that from my wife, nor do I ask for it from her. But she she was pretty impressed with that one. Coming home was a different story. Um, McCollum, uh, our our home base, runway nine two seven. We had winds from three ten. It was fourteen gusting twenty two, and uh, AJ's in the chat. He'll tell you there's a rock quarry, maybe two hundred feet off the uh, runway. The wind will get down there and do some squirrely things. I intentionally landed long. I had landed with only 20 degrees of flaps. And I'm not going to say that I butchered it, but it took me a little bit to make sure that things, I didn't need to go around. It was, it was, um, it was, I was sweating bullets on that one. And again, rightly so, my wife said, that one wasn't as good as your last one. She was very kind about it, but, I, I tell these stories that, so I just, I'm, I'm at 992 hours and I still struggle with this. No two are going to be the same. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say, that wasn't good. What can I do better? And go out there and practice them. Uh, my personal minimums, my personal minimums, excuse me, are what the uh, max demonstrated crosswind for our airplane is, which is 15 knot crosswind component. I've landed in that and I feel comfortable with it as comfortable as you can be in any crosswind landing. It's, uh, I am watching that on my weather brief as much as I'm watching for icing, as much as I'm watching for thunderstorms, as much as I'm watching for anything. It's just, it's one of those things that I don't care how much I practice it. It still makes me nervous.
2: I, um, I learned on a small field, as I say a million times, but this short field with tall trees and everything else set sideways on a, in a, in a valley. And it always had such weird winds. I was so happy to get to the, to my big airport with crossing runways. And, uh, so I had some choices there and, uh, yeah, but I still like going out and, and practicing. And in fact, the next two videos i'm working on are both wind related videos and there i guess part of it is i don't expect that the landings are going to be pretty right i'm happy just to get it on the ground in the correct direction and do a decent job at it it's i guess it's there it it's a different goal it's it's not about making this the smoothest perfect butter uh landing or anything else right it's it's, man sometimes well especially you just don't want to let it float down the runway at least that's my (laughs) my experience and uh, uh killing zone actually the the section right before crosswinds is talking about soft field landings and says don't try that with crosswinds because you'll sit there and you're you're trying to bring it in and float and get all that extra speed off before you land. So you're spending that much more time in those last few feet, just, just floating, letting the the crosswind throw you around. I thought that was a really interesting um, combination of, of things to talk about the, the soft field and the, the crosswind right next to each other. Ben,
1: I wish you recorded your flights because that would be a really fun one to watch. My thoughts um, about the narrative and the, killing zone that's mentioned that the thing that stood out to me is that when you are in your first maybe 200 hours or even onward from there when you're just lower lower time you are trained to do those types of landings but it's always about that one extra variable that stacks up on you in a moment that is the quantifiable stuff of Experience. You hear people say the word experience all the time, but that's what it is. Is this guy coming in and realizing when you come in between the trees <laughs> that 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 wind very well can and in this case did just absolutely disappear, and you got to be ready to not be in an overcorrecting, uh, you know, position longitudinally or or whatever it was, and that's what he got out of that. And I like those kind of experiences where you get jostled a little bit because those are the ones where the odds of those things happening again are very slim because the learning is a little painful. (laughs) So a little, a little, maybe a little scary. So, you know, good, good for, for this guy. And then, you know, it's also great to hear Ben you say, you know, at the amount of time that you have that it's always, everything's unique. The circumstances are always going to be a little different and there's something to, And side note, by the way, you know, my wife being uh, nervous to fly with me early on, not so much now as much, but early on, rightfully, I would have, I would be coming into really gusty conditions and had the plane would be getting thrown all over the place and, and all that. And she thought it was fun. She didn't care. As long as she's going towards, she's like, as long as we are going towards the ground and it's about to be over, then I'm good, you know? I'm like, well, okay, well that was really sketchy, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> but um but you know, as you go on, I think that there's something to be said for those challenging landings and you know, when you hear about proficiency, currency, all that, it's um yes, go out, practice, and I think that when you first start out, you tend to try to find banner days to fly and you've got to really remind yourself to get out there and be challenged because you don't want that to be, you don't want to just be a fair weather pilot and then get hit with those kind of things after you've been kind of getting comfortable flying more cross country and not flying in the pattern as much, maybe perhaps all those things. I, you see me like I I I love doing pattern work. I'm nonstop in the pattern. And if I see crazy conditions, I'm right out there because I want all of that. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, and I don't get, you know, having knowing the plane that you have I mean, it really helps to, you know, be, it it's different when you're just flying a rental that's this kind of even if it's the same model a 172 over here and a 172 over there can have very different characteristics and all that so don't, you know, don't go to yeah. seeking craziness for the sake of craziness but but anyway, I just I just thought that, that was a really interesting thing and the last point I want to make is for those that are doing your flight planning, whether for training or for taking cross countries and trips, uh, it might be an obvious thing to a lot of people. Um, But plan your trips. You know, if you're doing a two-hour leg somewhere, there's obviously the airport that you want to end up at because maybe that's closest to your destination or that's where you're getting a ride or whatever. But have as part of your alternate, when you're looking at the winds, try to find the nearest airport with more favorable conditions or even better, um, one with intersecting runways. And then that way you just kind of mentally can relax because you know that you you're going to be able to find a, a
0: sensible place if things are picking up in the summer, especially. So that's a great, great, um, I, I did it unconsciously. I would, would think about, okay, if I can't go here and, and the only other thing I would add to that and a similar thing happened to me earlier in my flying career with Terry in the plane, was landing in griffin georgia the tree line hugged the runway at one end but faded out so the crosswind didn't really kick in until you were well on the ground but still made it um you know it picked the wing up and you know we were on two wheels for a little bit so um you know take a look at that overhead view uh, that satellite view of the airport when you're coming in
1: yeah and can we talk technique for a second i'm curious how how do you how, how do you um cook and cure your your crosswind
0: landings what is what is your technique shake and bake baby shake and bake <laughs> um i i like the crab method i like to uh point the nose into the wind um and if i can i can slip pretty easily if i'm too high uh then i kick it kick the rudder back in uh right before touchdown um the wing low i'll do it sometimes but it's i just I like being, I don't know, flat on the horizontal plane and just pointing the nose into the direction of the wind. That's just me though.
2: I, uh, I crabbed pretty much through my training and it was on my, my check ride, the DPE's like, Hey, how about next time? Because there was a big crosswind when I did that. It's like, how about next time you point at the runway and you'll have fewer things to change. Just keep pointed down the center line. Now just move the stick back and forth don't have to think about anything else there's some truth to that uh, it's both methods are possible I, I think the funny thing is in a crosswind I'm much more likely to do that to to crab and try and keep straight to the runway and when there isn't one I'm usually slipping on down and and straightening it out just above the runway <laughs> and so it's like I, I reverse the, uh, the the recommendations on that.
1: I feel for me, oh, and by the way, side note for the audio audience, the live stream, you know, we're putting up people's comments here and the OG midlife pilot has chimed in and he had a little comment saying, Ted looks Ted looks like he's sitting so still that if his map wasn't flashing in the background, I would swear his video was frozen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have my sectional behind me and I just have this habit of sitting here. So once, once Chris said that, and hey, Chris, always nice to see you. Once he said that, I started kind of bobbing back and forth so that he could see that. Uh, so in the comments we've got a couple of people there. Uh, we've got CT Crosswind Adventures who I'm not sure if they've been in the in the live streams before that. Uh, we've also got Havoc Aviation, uh, definitely first timer, Cheryl, uh, first timer. So really nice to see. You. Uh, nice to have you join us in in our uh, little live stream world as we're as we're doing this. Yeah. And so one quick technique thing, I, I
1: think Ted, I'm I, well. This I, Okay. We are not CFIs. We are not yeah. qualified. No. Um, I prefer to not wait till the last minute and then swing the nose around. I don't like being in ground effect and then starting to really gauge how much correction is needed. And oftentimes when I feel like I've done that, I feel like I'm creating a little bit of an oscillation or, you know, in that little fine tuning moment. And I just feel like it's a little too volatile of a place to be to be sorting that out. Now, maybe if I'm a better pilot, then that changes. Um, but ultimately, for me, I like really focusing a mile out i'm I'm dead focused on longitudinal alignment and center line and i'm I'm already fully in on the rudder, you know on the slip to to gauge kind of like what you were saying, Ted, right, where it's like, let me just go ahead and just dial this in, and then I'm just rolling things back a little bit as I go, but I'm in a little bit more of a static uh stayed state of flying, I suppose you have to obviously gauge your approach for that, and you know if you're in a slip and you gotta be in do what's right for your plane or whatever, but for me, generally speaking, I get it aligned, I get the nose aligned way far out. And br- let the wing be low. It took me a minute to get used to doing that in a low wing. Cause I, I was paranoid about you know sort of coming in at an angle like that. But when I started to realize how absurdly um, pitched I, or whatever, <laughs> like I would have to be to, to hit the wing, it would, you know, it's not going to happen. So anyway, that's how I do it. I don't like to swing it around there at the last second, but um, yeah. you know, who am I?
2: Well, I, let me do it. I'm do inspired quick, by co-
0: the, I'm sorry, Ted. Let's
2: let's do a quick uh, uh, go around the table here. Um, uh, ben, you said your kind of crosswind limit now with a thousand hours is 15 knots, which is what the plane's rated at. What were what was your limitation, either imposed or on you as a student?
0: Um, it was 10 knot crosswinds as a student. Actually, started out I think at seven, and then that instructor left, and whatever out of reason they bumped it up to 10 knot crosswind. Um, That was my limit.
2: Brian, what were your limits as a student Uh, and as a young pilot? At the point of checkride, my
1: crosswind limit or minimum was nine knots, I think. And then I pretty quickly after getting my certificate went out in one of those kind of perfect consistent direct crosswind days and pounded out about 9 or 10 landings with about a 10 or 11 knot crosswind so i raised my minimum that was the first thing i ever raised on my own you know and uh made it i think 10 knots and then uh you know and then now um i'm also at max demonstrated for the cherokee um so yeah i i've, I've felt now um the absolute most of what can be done and I wasn't deterred, you know, by that.
2: I I feel like the, the, the risk goes up at that for sure. When you're, when you're landing with those real strong crosswinds, I, my limitation now is the same, which is 15 knots, which is the, the plane's limitation. When I was a student, uh, when I first saw it, it was, um, five knots crosswind and 10 knots of wind. So they're really low and, that was That was fine as a student, and it's just that process of of learning what you can handle and not jumping into it, yeah, so anyway, I thought that was interesting is is we've all kind of raised ours in over time, but certainly not one of those where you're like well it's uh it's a nasty day I'm gonna go uh right off my check ride and and try this, hit full sand and do it yeah, it's amazing how
1: how quickly you can go from being rightfully very nervous about it and it being a huge factor in your flight planning and, you know, all this to, um, not being that concerned about it, (laughs) you know, even the gusts and all that. I mean, it doesn't mean like, don't take it seriously. I'm just saying, uh, if that's the, that's the benefit of doing the, you know, seeking those opportunities to, to practice. And I want to read this thing from Biff real quick, and then we'll get onto the next bit here. But um, Biff says, my check ride is coming up and current forecasts are eight-ish knots, but basically direct 90 degrees. The soft and short field are concerning to me. I hope that is not what the conditions will be. Uh, my thoughts on that are, you'll be fine. Just do what you're trained to do. And in all honesty, the difference, difference between maybe six knots and eight knots is going to be, I would say, fairly negligible. And in some cases, at least for me, the more pronounced the effect of the wind is, the act- it's actually easier to work with. It's you know the things that kind of get me are the weird variable winds and all the you know so, I have more trouble with like a, a variable five knot wind where you kind of don't really know where it was coming from than. A direct, clear, consistent crosswind of almost any speed. So maybe just look at the bright side on that uh, in that aspect of it. Just to say that um, you know it could actually end up being better for you in, in a certain way.
2: We have uh, three check rides in in the midlife community in the next two weeks, and I'm not going to call them out by name. If if those check rides happen, best of luck to all of you, and uh, look forward to uh, getting reports on it. This time of year, it's a lot tougher because of weather, but you know, really happy to to see people doing that. The one thing I was hoping for on my check ride was for the conditions not to be calm. I just wanted it to be weird enough that that it wasn't clear that I was a learning pilot. <laughs> so <laughs> I have something to blame it on. Yeah, it's like it's like you want to so, take a driving test in the ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, as we as wrap that up, I it's such a great topic, but. Uh,
0: it, it is. And I, I want to echo your comment uh, for those that are in our uh, midlife community and part of the discord server, which we can send you an invite when you email us at midlifepilotpodcast at at gmail.com. We'll send you a link, but we love doing debriefs. Um, I, I love, still love hearing about the experiences of a check ride. Um, no two are alike. And it's just, uh, I, I enjoy it. Speaking of sharing experiences How's that for a segue? We want to bring up, um, provide us a little bit more details around our Nashville meetup at John Tuned Airport, Juliet Whiskey, November, April 26th through April 28th, 2024. Um, we are making progress. I think it would be a fair way to say it. Um, we have a website. And I'm going to ask Ted and or Brian to remind me the website URL because I'm drawing a blank at the moment. The link to the website will be in the doobly do. Uh, oh yeah,
2: it yeah. Uh, just because it's it's not an easy one.
0: There are a lot of details in there. Um, we, we've gotten we've gotten a lot of interest, and at this point, we've just asked people, "Hey, what's your interest level?" And it's almost over 40 people now. I think. Uh, Some flying in commercially, some of them bringing their own airplanes. But um, we are getting, we are in the process of securing uh, three Airbnb townhomes. This will have at least 12 separate bedrooms and all the buildings are connected. So we're basically creating a midlife compound, if you will. Uh, I believe we have six people that have basically committed to join us. Um, we're expecting the cost to be between 70 to about a hundred dollars a night. Now we're still working on the exact details, uh, deadlines and things of that nature. Uh, if, there's, if we can get these rooms filled up, we have another uh, building that's also connected to these with another three bedrooms. Listed on the website are nearby hotels if you prefer to stay there, which uh, some people have. Um, What else, Brian?
1: Well, I just want to say, first of all, it's going to be awesome, and so people should come. Granted, we're just doing this thing, and you guys do. (laughs) If people show up, great. If if half the people of the 40s show up, that'll still be absolutely incredible. We are so overwhelmed with the response already that, um, you know, I don't even really know what to say about that, but I will say that um, the area where the compound is, is in an, a, it's on the, the main strip here actually in my neighborhood, which is just a couple miles from John Toon Airport, which is where everybody's planes will be and where we'll be going out on adventures and to local attractions and such, all detailed on the website. So I'm just saying it's going to be a really good time. And I think that there's going to be some people that are here strictly for the fly. in then there's going to be other people that are maybe here with their family. And then the, you know, the pilot person will go hang out with the pilots and then the family will go do Nashville things or, you know, there's any number of ways to do this, but I just think it'd be great for everybody to try to get to Nashville on that weekend and let's meet up and, and have some fun. And, and we've done this once before and in, in Nashville and it just worked out great because there's just so many facilities and resources and things all very close to the airport. At the compound, you'll be able to walk to coffee, walk to get crepes, walk to the bars, walk to the restaurants, whatever you want. It's all right there. And, um, and then I think Ben will probably be, you know, cooking for everybody and, uh, doing laundry and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, but no, so, you know, we're, we're trying to balance the administrative responsibility of it and creating something for people to come to at the same time, trying to stay completely clear of all of that sort of responsibility. And you know what, people are on their own, come and have fun. We're going to give you a few ways to to do that and then just do whatever works best for you. But it's going to be great. And flying in here is great. John Tune is a great airport and, you know hey, if you're lucky, you get to see Kid Rock's plane parked there with the big middle finger on it. That's, there's a lot of things, so, but anyway. It,
0: you know, I'll so. go on record as saying, and Brian, you made a video about <laughs> this um, in, in, uh, in your library, but when we did this, I guess it was last year. I can't remember exactly when it was. We went to Tahoma. We went to Springfield. We went to these different airports, and the flying was awesome. Flying with different people was great, but just hanging out on those rooftop bars and having a few drinks and just the conversations themselves, and just hanging out with the people, was worth everything. If we yeah. if we if it rains the entire time, I'm totally fine with that because just hanging out with other midlifers is worth the price of admission.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, there are things that I there are some of the airports that we didn't go that I'd like to see. Uh, but the the best thing is is that we know that we've got a good hang. And that's, I think, what we learned. And by the way, it was a year ago, October, so like a year and a half ago okay. is when it was. Yeah. Um. But what this is better from that one is we've got food right there, like a block away. Last time we had to drive to get to all that. And, and so now we're talking about, oh, how are we going to figure out uh, transportation? It's like, you don't have to. Because as long as you can Uber over to John Toon, that's the only time you're going to have to worry about transportation.
0: So mark it on your calendars. Um, there's a form that you can fill out. Um, we're going to start, once we nail down the details um, with the uh, Airbnb folks, we'll put out um, some communication somehow, some way on the website to say this is what the price is. It'll be on a first come, first serve basis. Um And then we also have a link to the closest, um, I'm going to say the closest decent hotel, Brian, would that be the best way to say that? Well, yeah, it's just, it's a strange
1: thing in this little area out west side of town. There's not a lot of hotels. There's a lot of Airbnbs and a lot of other things, but there's not a lot of hotels. And the ones that are close, close are maybe not the best places, um, The hotel that I chose, I think, is the best one for people to get because it actually is sort of in the nexus between the direct route to the airport and going west of town, but also going straight down West End to downtown or to some of the other attractions if you wanted to do those things with your family. Or if you're one of those folks that's kind of coming for the pilot stuff and then letting your family go run wild and get arrested on Broadway or whatever. So, um (laughs) So that hotel is on the, the, the website, the website for the event. And we'll keep, you know, we're going to keep coming at you guys with more information as we do. I mean, look, it's, it's January 2nd. We've gotten this far for something that's at the end of April. I'm kind of impressed. Amen.
0: Well, I think that should uh, do it for tonight. I do want to do, or make a special shout out. Um, last year was a great year, um, for the midlife pilot community. Um, I'm blown away by the response that uh, we've received from our supporters. Uh, we've got new folks in there tonight. The community is growing at a very nice clip. The podcast seems to be doing pretty well, despite my efforts to bring it down. Um, but I'm I'm grateful to be a part of the community. Um, if you can find it any way possible to make it to the meetup, it is, um, it's a really special deal. So uh, don't forget, we have merch and swag at store.midlifepilotpodcast.com uh, it'll, the link will be in the show notes and uh, yeah I just want to thank everybody and uh, want to call it a night and uh, sign off for episode 56. Good night everybody thanks for joining us.